0: welcome to the show you're listening to let's face it i am your host will strayhorn thanks for joining me um this october the 12th the day before columbus day so i hope everybody had a great weekend um i'm still battling these allergies as you can tell and um we have a good show today for you um domestic violence love shouldn't hurt um i know that october is um Breast Cancer Awareness Month but it also is Domestic Violence Month so I have two well actually I have three guests this evening who are going to talk to you from their experience and from um, the experience of treating domestic violence victims and couples and then we also have towards the end of the show um we've all heard of the Ice Bucket Challenge with the ALS disease um, where there is the Band-Aid Challenge that's going on and my guest Rachelle Fletcher is gonna be on towards the end of the show, um, to let you know about her cause and how we can help her um spread the message of domestic violence. Um, last night we had at my house we had a conversation dinner, um, which is basically we had um Nate cooked the big meal and we had about six friends over and we sat around the table and we talked about a lot of topics. And that just brings to the table that next week the 19th we're going to have a full show of just hot topics it's going to be a panel of about six or seven people including myself and we're going to talk about everything that's in the news today from politics um, religion celebrity gossip um, everything that's in the news today more than likely we'll talk about it but you can participate as well we're going to have the um, phone lines open at 917-932- one zero seven eight. Make sure that you press one um, to make sure that you get into the call queue um, to be able to ask questions. As well as throughout the whole week, if there's something that you want to make sure that we talk about, if you want to participate in the show, um, send me an email to info at let'sfaceitstudio dot com. That's info at Studio dot com. And the phone number again is nine one seven nine three two. 1078. Make sure you press 1. Also, again, let's face it, radio.com. You can get all the upcoming shows. We do have quite a few shows that we're looking for people who want to be a part of. Uh, Make sure you check out the um, shows currently in production page. Uh, That way you can figure out um, if you can possibly help us put those shows together. They're all interesting topics. Also, if you have any topics that you want us to talk about on the show, it's a way that you can also submit those through the website. My first guest, um, earlier this week I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Beth Janieris, who is a therapist and author in New Mexico. And right after this break, she's going to be back with us to share with with us her knowledge and her experience in dealing with domestic violence and the victims and also um, those who are the assailants of that. So you're listening to Let's Face It. On the Survival Radio Network, I'm your host, Will Strayhorn, and we'll be right back.
1: Are you a recent graduate, a displaced professional, or a subject matter expert looking for an opportunity? Or maybe you're seeking to advance your career in information technology and cybersecurity. And Lanier Data Assurance Solutions, Inc. is the company for you. Lanier is a professional services consulting firm located in Washington, D.C., Largo, Maryland, and Jacksonville, Florida. We are comprised of highly experienced, certified security professionals as well as subject matter experts in the science of information security and privacy. Lanier has established a solid reputation for excellence by providing superior services to every client. This credible firm brings a wealth and expertise to the profession. Excellent compensation, contract and travel options. Contact Lanier Data Assurance Solutions today. Like us on Facebook to get real-time opportunity announcements. At Facebook.
0: I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. My first guest tonight is Dr. Beth Gennaris. She is calling from New Mexico. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gennaris.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: No problem, no problem. So, tonight's show we're talking about domestic violence. And just for my listeners, can you give us a little bit of your experience and your um, professional background in dealing with the matter?
2: You bet. So I have several degrees. I have a master's in uh, counseling, a business degree, and an oriental medicine degree. And I tend to work with this population from a mindfulness perspective. When I was getting my business degree, I wrote a paper on the – the economics of domestic violence, and um, when I was a young, young person working in the field, I really worked with very violent criminals. I went into the prisons and into um, the county jails to work with them, mostly working from a social worker point of view about their children and the placement of their children and the care of their children and, and their relationships with their partners. So oh. I have some long-standing background. Okay.
0: So in your experience, In this day and age, what are the circumstances that underline the continuation of domestic domestic violence in our country and abroad?
2: So I think part of this has to do with the fact that we, we don't recognize that domestic violence is really a power issue. We focus on it here in America more like an anger management issue. We have to teach people how to manage their emotions, and to some degree that may be true but more of it has to do with the issues of power. And as um, gender relationships change and as people feel less able to take care of the needs that they have to, it becomes more stressful in families. Additionally, we have cultural beliefs that sort of support the idea of using violence to control people. And these two items keep this promoting, this idea of domestic violence as a a reasonable activity.
0: So... In your observation, most most cases that occur, usually there's a person who has some type of a power issue, a power struggle going on.
2: Yeah, it's an internal power issue, right? I'm feeling out of control. I'm feeling like the world is not in my, working for me, and I'm going to utilize this to, to take an action, or I feel like the system I'm in, I, I'm not recognized the way I need to be, or things aren't happening how I want them to, and I'm going to use some sort of dominating activity in order to overpower somebody to tomorrow's relationship.
3: Exactly,
0: exactly. So that brings me to, in recent news, we know with the Ray Rice domestic violence case, you have made a very wonderful, excellent observation um, regarding his case. Can you can you share that with the audience?
2: So one of the things that I, I noticed is that he, the things that make him powerful and strong and really successful in his work on the field, aggressivity, you know, reactivity, those are the things that are getting in his way in his relationship. And so it's an it's a it's a way of shifting his perspective. On the field he has to act in this very aggressive manner. Um and yet in relationship he has to learn how to be more um empowering of his partner and less reactive to what she's doing, et cetera. Hmm.
0: Huh. So that's that's very
2: when I read that I was like, Wow,
0: that made sense. It made perfect sense to me. And in your experience, why do women I know a lot of people say you just should just leave pretty much. Why do you think women stay in these violent relationships? Some
2: of it has to do with this issue of um what's happening culturally. In some situations the violent relationship is complicated. It may have started as a very loving relationship that can happen where individuals who tend to be overpowering of their partners start out by being very kind and loving and setting up a very positive relationship between them and their partner. And then, after there's some decision that this is, uh, they're connected either through marriage or um, engagement or sexual activity, then if this is a man and a woman together, then the man begins. if he's the overpowering person, begins to dominate the woman. Now, this can happen in gay relationships. uh, So it isn't specific to heterosexual relationships. Right. It can happen in all sorts of relationships. It can happen in business as well where people are overpowering. But once you notice that there is some way in which there is a uh, differential, a power differential, then that gets enacted even further.
0: In my preparing for the show, I was looking through cases, and I asked, especially with this question, um, why women, not just who are victims in um, domestic violent relationship why do they stay? Um, I was reading a magazine article, I believe, and they were saying that it's just as important not to just up and leave, because sometimes that can become tragic, that there should pretty much be a game plan as to how you want to exit the relationship sometimes it can be even more dangerous just to up and leave because that can further, further agitate the aggressor in the relationship.
2: You're absolutely right. So there's several different situations, some several different scenarios. The very first time that an overpowering action happens, if the woman takes an immediate – let's say it's the woman that's being victimized. If the person being – that takes an immediate action and says, I'm out, and, and really walks away, really – takes an action, then that person usually is out and and doesn't get continued repetitive behavior of of domestic violence. Once a person has uh, allowed a certain amount of violence to occur, it's much more difficult themselves, and in that situation, they do need to make some sort of plan, because often, if you start to go, that's where the violence escalates quite dramatically. And so... The individual who's in that violent situation who's being victimized has to be sort of clever about how they get out of it once they've stayed for some period of time. Additionally, those of us helping women we or men, anyone who's in that victim scenario, we want to be helpful. We don't want to be telling them what they're doing is wrong or come down on them really hard because that actually – separates them from us further and we have less ability to assist them
0: making them feel they're their fault pretty much
2: right they the shame comes up the guilt comes up they can't really leave so they can't really feel they can come to you i mean i've heard i've heard friends say to people that i was helping i've heard them say well if you're not going to leave i'm not going to help anymore don't even bring it up they don't really understand that hard line in that situation is really pushing the person away and pushing them toward the aggressor, unfortunately. Hmm.
0: So you're basically saying that at the very first sign that there may be some type of violence in the relationship that you're suggesting that you should leave, that you should exit at that point.
2: Well, you you need to – it depends upon the situation, of course.
3: Um, That's what I was going to say, sure,
2: yeah their immediate action has to be this is not okay i'm not willing to do this and and take an action of i'm leaving let's go to they could say let's go to therapy that's fine but they have to say this is actually not continuing in some way and then take an action that supports that because one of the things that i've noticed is that when somebody says i'm going to leave if you continue but they don't actually leave they're they're condoning the behavior. And so until an action is taken that's congruent with the words, then they're basically saying it's okay. They don't mean to be, but that's what's happening.
0: So in your opinion, then, potential mate or whatever, what are some qualities to cue that, you know, this person may not be stable, this person may be potentially violent towards me? What are some things or some, some, some warning flags that perhaps – they can see.
2: So, so it can go in two different ways. One way would be the person is strangely overly nice, overly kind. If they're overly, like almost like a prince charming in relationships, um, that individual. But they're not very nice to the people around. Like they're they're uh, rude to waiters and waitresses, especially to um, people who are what could be perceived as service people working for them. Then you're noticing that they have already a concept of a power differential, and that they enact that power differential differently. Do you understand what I'm saying? hmm
0: Yeah, that was like an aha moment for me because I have a client who is in a situation currently. They say that their partner is the very opposite to different people, um, and to them, in the, in the initially in the relationship, they were really like you said, like Prince Charming. But they noticed around everyone else, they were a demon. Everybody else didn't like them. So that that to me when you said that that was like a red flag that she should have picked up on.
2: Absolutely. Another thing that you want to look for is what are their relationships with their previous partner? Are they reasonable? Are they um, negative? Are they strongly contested? What are the stories behind that? And if everything is always somebody else's fault, that's another situation where you recognize that that person doesn't have the capacity to sort of really kind of mediate, negotiate, be internally responsible, and that kind of attitude can make them more likely to have this sort of power differential and controlling behavior.
3: So
0: you also, you said you specialize in mindfulness. I know you, that you have a book. You have a book out. Can you tell us about your book?
2: So the the book that I have out is, is um, called Turning Me to We, the art of partnering with mindfulness. And the idea behind it is to move people from sort of being narcissistic or competitive in their relationships to more collaborative. And the idea is to really assist people in having these really mutually satisfying relationships where both parties have power and are huh. empowered to create what they want. And so one of the things that they've noticed is that when you work with these partners that are willing to work on their violent reactivity. Like Ray Rice said, he's willing to work on it. When you work with these individuals, and you work with both parties that are partners, and you bring mindfulness to the table, their behavior changes. And there are many studies that show that mindfulness and mindfulness meditation actually change the way that your brain works. It changes your limbic system, which is that emotional part of your brain, part of your brain that can be altruistic or empathetic, and that's what you need. If somebody's acting out, I mean, if somebody is doing something you don't like and and you can't see it from their perspective, you may want to take control of them. That may be when that power differential comes into play. And if you can see it from their perspective, you can have a negotiated discussion about how to change how the relationship is going.
0: Mindfulness Is that a concept that you created?
2: No, no. Mindfulness has been a long, a long, time. And uh, they talk about it in psychotherapy. They talk about it in psychology, psychological theory. That's really what cognitive restructuring is, to look at something from the other side. And of course, it's been around forever in Buddhist tradition and Hindu tradition. They use it in mindfulness in meditation. And so I just borrowed all those ideas and sort of integrated the thoughts between East-West philosophy and started to really apply them to relationships.
0: So if I, like with my client, I go back to that scenario, what can I do if I see someone that I care about, that they're caught up in a violent relationship? What are some steps that I can take to help them?
2: So one of the first things to do, if you're seeing a, a friend who's in a situation, at The first thing you want to do is kindly, warmly let them know that you observe, sort of using your compassion. I see what's happening there. How did that make you feel? You know, you're sounding a bit like a therapist, I know. But you're trying to really connect with that person. And then at the same time saying, if you are choosing to stay, I understand. I'm worried for you, and I'm here for you. In other words, you're being clear that if they don't take any advice from you, you're still around so that they can keep coming to you. Because sometimes it takes several events before a person is willing to say, okay, so they said they were sorry, but then they did it again. Oh, they said they were sorry, but they did it again, until they can finally say, I'm ready to really do what I have to do to take care of myself.
0: Hmm. Are women always a victim of domestic violence? I read an article again and also discussed with you that I was alarmed by the percentage that may claim to be different are you are women always the victims in domestic violence?
2: no absolutely they're not um and uh women are the perpetrators of violence they're- per- perpetrators of violence in in um same gender relationships they're perpetrators of violence in heterosexual relationships oftentimes men who are involved in um a heterosexual relationships who are being battered. They do not go to the police because of an issue of shame because our culture is so sh- – they would really be hassled for that. Now, in um, the thing to keep in mind is that men are – I think it's two-to-one victims of violence in our society, just plain old victims of violence. Now, some of that is just – it's work violence. Some of that is uh, other kinds of violence and some of that is domestic violence. We are more aware of women in domestic violence situations because we perceive that power differential from a physical point of view. If a 100-pound woman punches a 200-pound guy, she she might not hurt him that bad. But if a 200-pound guy punches a 100-pound woman, she might be knocked out cold. And that's the reason that it tends to be discussed more from this uh, feminine perspective, but it's actually men are are two to one victims of violence in our society.
0: All right, and I think the article that I was reading said forty percent, and that blew me away. But I could I could definitely understand that a lot would come from um, the shame of it, um, them being ashamed to approach the police or get out in society. I can I can definitely understand where that would come into play, but I was blown away pretty much by the forty percent of the domestic violent cases were women against men. Kind of
2: Isn't that, yeah. And I think it's not always women against men. It's just men who are in domestic violence situations. So it, it's also men against men. Um okay. Partners. Um, but it, it's just a, it's a very serious problem that we really aren't recognizing that men are, they are at high risk for being in domestic violence situations. They're at risk for being stalked. They're at risk for many of the things that we discuss as being mostly feminine in gender. They aren't.
3: Right.
0: Well, Dr. Gineris, I want to thank you so much for stopping by. Do you have any final advice or information that you want to share with the listeners?
2: So I I just wanted to invite people to just understand that when people uh, are in a domestic violence situation, the more that we can apply our compassion to both the perpetrator of the violence and the victim, the more we can help them to find a way to not be acting in this fashion. In most instances, it's a very complicated sociological issue. And so we want to be able to take incisive action to protect them from hurting each other while still not creating a lot of blame and bullying that doesn't actually help. And so that was one of the few things I wanted to really communicate about how important it is that we we take sort of a mindful perspective at how we help people in this situation. Oh.
0: Well, once again, thank you so much for stopping by. Dr. Generis' information is on the website, let's face it com, And I hope that you'll come by again sometime. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I'd love to. Have a great evening.
0: Thank you, you too. You're listening to Let's Face It on the Survivor Radio Network. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. you want to take your business to the next level, Ultimate Business Solutions provides the support you need to increase your customer base and sell more products and services online. Specializing in graphic arts, web
2: development, and internet marketing, Ultimate Business Solutions creates the face of your business. If you're looking for a custom logo, dynamic website, or popping marketing material, call Ultimate Business Solutions today at
4: 404-704-2197 or visit www.ultimatebiz.com. Solutions.com. Ultimate Business Solutions. Let us create your future. Bay Atlanta, where desserts are created and you taste love. Looking to fill your sweet tooth? Do you have a special event or occasion you're planning? Give Cake Cafe Atlanta a call. Located at 368 Candler Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30317. Open Monday to Saturday, 10 to 7 p.m. You can get the best in pies, cakes, cobblers, coffee, brownies, specialty popcorn, and more. Visit their website at www.cakecafeatlanta.com or give them a call at 404-284-0106. That's 404-284-0106. Call Cake Cafe Atlanta today. Looking for a cafe with a home-like appeal where all who enter feel like they are part of something? Visit My Coffee Shop, located in East Lake, Atlanta, Georgia. MCS has a full breakfast and lunch menu, offering both hot and cold options, and is home of the amazing basil lemonade. But don't forget the assortment of freshly brewed coffees. Come on by at 2462 Memorial Drive, Atlanta, Georgia, 30317. We're pretty sure my coffee shop at East Lake will become your coffee shop too.
3: Planning
1: for the ultimate vacation? Do you want the perfect wedding and honeymoon packages? How about a relaxing cruise or group travel destination? You need Phoenix One Travel. Phoenix One Travel is one of the leading providers of travel services and travel education in the world. Give us a call at 678 358 Eight five double 8, eight, or visit our website at www one Let's plan your dream getaway today.
0: Welcome back to Let's and I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. We just heard from Dr. Beth Gennaris, who's called in from um, New Mexico. My next guest, Suzanne Perry, she is a domestic violence survivor, also now a domestic violence um, victim advocate. She was in an abusive relationship with her ex-husband for about 20 years. She's also a speaker, a writer, and a radio host. Welcome to the show, Suzanne.
2: Hi, Will. Thank you
5: for having me on.
0: So, give us a little background about your information. I was reading over your, your story, and so you were in a relationship for the marriage for 20 years?
5: Yeah, I was actually with him for 22 years uh, from the time I was 17 years old. Um, And it was, it first started off, you know, it was very whimsical, very charming, and, you know, kind of almost picture perfect. Uh, and soon after that, it, he would start to like pick on my friends and find things that were wrong with them. And then that would escalate to, to my family. And he would try to, he made up stories why like my family wasn't good, I guess. And then that escalated to the things that I like to do. Like I took guitar lessons and now suddenly that wasn't any good anymore. And, and all of the things that, Made up me, he just eventually peeled away, kind of like layers of an onion, peeled everything away from me, and then uh, and then the physical abuse started to to creep in, and and it's interesting, it's not because people really don't understand the dynamics of domestic violence. It's like you know, it's not like you go on a date and you get punched. It's a very gradual process, and as it's happening, you really don't realize that you're slipping into this spell really and so once it started once it was so bad by the time I you know raised my head up above water I was all alone I had no social network and no no support anywhere because I'd already fallen into this trap you know and I thought that this was love and you know he kind of he didn't really promise me the world but you know, all of my weaknesses and everything where maybe I wasn't feeling good about myself, like I was very self-conscious of my looks. And so, you know, I was, you know, beautiful and exotic in in his eyes. So everything that I've learned later, you know, everything that I was insecure about, he came in as the knight in shining armor. But later, after after it started getting abusive, where it started to get physical, he would take all of those weaknesses and spit fire right back, uh, right them right back at me, and so you know I I had no one to reach out to for for support, and this is exactly what they do—they isolate you so so that you feel there's no there is no out and you're kind of stuck.
0: So how far along in the marriage did all did did it start to really peak? Because you said it was over like a 20 something year span. Yeah. So I'm sure it, it wasn't in the beginning. So when 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 did it start to where he had already had you isolated from those who cared about you, so that you were really pretty much probably dependent on him? And I guess that's where he wanted you. When did that all really come to a peak? Where along in the relationship or the marriage?
2: Well, well, I have left
5: three times. The first time I left, I was 21. We had our first child when I was 20, and 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 our son was six months old. That was the first time that I left. So. I, it had become quite physical by that point, and I w- I started dating him at 17. So I know I, I got stitches in my leg at 19 because he, he whacked a, a glass mug over my shin until it broke, and I lied to my parents and covered up because this happened when I still lived with my parents, and we were up in my bedroom, and he was threatening me, say, accusing me of cheating on him, which I never did, but he whacked his mug until it broke. And then when my parents asked what was going on, we were like, oh, we were just horsing around, and and I fell off the bed. And so I was already very uh, tied up, so to speak, in this relationship. I was defending him for hurting me. So it was already bad and just gone worse. I know when I moved out, um, when I was pregnant, I was terrified. I was already scared to be alone with him, but I pushed forward anyways. And so there really wasn't one particular peak um because, you know, the I mean the the beatings, you know, sometimes were more intense than others, you know, there was rape involved and you know, there really wasn't a peak, but you know, after leaving three times and coming back three times and then I married him, and I pretty much I think just wrote it off and I I thought I was just gonna die by his hands. I would go to sleep crying at night, I'd be praying. It's like, what did I ever do to deserve what I'm getting? Because you know, I, I wasn't a bad person. <laughs> I never, you know, I never cheated. I worked full time. I go to work and come right home. And he monitored my every move, my every breath, and my every word. Like I had no, no private time with my own children. And so when I was gone at work, he would be slave driving them over in the house. Go do this. Get me that. Do this. So this way, they couldn't. My kids couldn't tell me what was going on when I wasn't there because he was always standing over us. But so there really wasn't one particular peak. But let's go to how I got out.
3: <laughs> okay, so
5: and it was a morning. Yes, I'm
0: sorry. Um, because when I was talking with Doctor Janaris, we were talking about why dif- why people just don't leave. Because I think the obvious thing people say, well, why don't you just leave? Why didn't you just leave?
5: Well, I did leave, but I came back. <laughs> so what the heck is wrong with me? I, people ask all the time. <laughs> Um, you know what reasons why the victim stays, and the biggest one that I have heard in, in, in my research is people say because of their kids. Well, this is horribly wrong, and this has to be corrected. But this is this was one of the reasons. I didn't want the stigma of being a single parent. You know, at twenty-one, I didn't want I didn't want to be pointed out, singled out, shamed, and even though really. That would have been, that was an illusion, but that's what I thought was true. I thought, you know, if I left with our our little boy that, you know, everybody would be finger-pointing and and say, oh, her and whispering behind my back. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really stupid.
3: (laughs) I just wish (laughs) I would
5: have went with, you know, the right thing to do. But, you know, some people stay in it for financial reasons. That didn't apply to me because I always worked full-time. Um, but, you know, it was just I didn't want that stigma, and, and I I don't know. I just wanted to have a family unit. I just wanted that unity. And I also thought that I could fix them, and that's another magical error out there. You cannot correct a person who is like that. And and I find that usually people like that have uh, narcissistic personality disorder.
0: Did you ever think it was your fault? Excuse me? Did you ever say it's your fault? I hear a lot of people that say that for a while they just said, you know, I shouldn't have did that, or they took the blame on themselves. I, didn't right. I did not for have other to blame that. He, uh-huh.
3: I
5: mean, he did blame me. Oh, I mean, <laughs> he would blame me. Like I remember once he punched me in the mouth and he cut his knuckle on my tooth, and somehow that was my fault. You know, shoving me into the fridge and the handle broke, that was my fault. But that was what he said. So I didn't exactly fall into that category. I didn't turn on myself and say, oh, I should have avoided this or I should have. No, I didn't do that. Um, You know, and outside of just being self-conscious about my appearance, outside of that, I was very happy-go-lucky, you know, confident and, you know, very social and and very outgoing and friendly. But I've now learned, you know, both are all the things that he wanted and wasn't. (laughs) I've learned so much. Over the past seven years, not only of my relationship, but just the dynamics behind it, and it's it's quite amazing that how similar all of the
0: stories are. Yeah, and being brief for the show, my producer showed me something. You said that you would go back. Why? Why? On, why? Where would you go back?
5: Because by the time I had left. There was no one to talk to. It's like I never confided in my family of exactly what was going on. I once said he put his hand on my neck, and i that it was just was nothing. I never really revealed, and I still today I'm not sure exactly why um I was afraid, I guess that's why I was afraid of him. I was scared to leave and scared to stay and so going back is because I had nobody to talk to, so i not only was I isolated there was no one who could relate to what I had gone through to tell me or guide me or anything. And so he was kind of way a comfort zone. He knew what everything was going on and he knew the right things to say to make me come back. He'd make himself cry. He's oh, I can't go on without you. I want to be a family man. I know where I went wrong. I, you know, he would say all the things that I wanted to hear, Mm -hmm. but finally I just gave in and, you know, Finally, I, I stopped, and I didn't – I knew what he was going to do, and I refused to go back again, finally, at the at the end of it all.
3: And
0: so how were you able to move forward?
5: Uh, well, one morning, we were getting ready for, for – I was getting ready for work, and, and, and my daughter had taken me aside, and, and she was 16 at the time. And she just said – she says, Mom, I can't take living like this anymore. It's either him or me. And she threatened to oh. run away. And so that – was like it there was no two two ways about it and uh i i tremored i shook and i was like you're right Uh, so within the next two weeks i had given her this we made a pick that morning i said the next time you know when i have enough evidence uh, because i was terrified my worst nightmare was that if anybody called the police and they came and and what if he knew the cop and they laughed it off and then I would just get it worse, so I needed to make sure I had enough evidence that something could happen so within that two weeks it did it did occur, and my daughter called nine one one and they came and they arrested him and held him overnight and we started over i mean first, we just slept for two weeks, uh, me and the kids just slept for two because it was just it was chronically living on pins and needles, and we were we could never get a good night's sleep. It was always stressful, it was just a horrible, horrible way to live. And now it's been almost seven years that I turned over a new leaf, started a new life, and share my story. I get answered with more stories, and and their stories just fuel me. So I'm just like coast to coast. This is you know this is what I went through, and so many people can relate that I now started a non for profit organization to to take it to the next level. Yes,
0: excellent. I definitely want to get towards that. Um, about your, you also have a, a show. Uh, is it a radio show or a TV show? Uh,
5: I, I I did have a radio show for two and a half years. I've taken a, a break from that. So now um, the nonprofit is called TV. So we have a website and a video, uh YouTube channel. And there okay. we answer people's questions, or, you know, anything we want to, reach out to them, maybe recognize a warning sign or help guide them or and just offer some advice. So we, we want questions, and I will answer them personally in the form of a video.
3: Oh,
0: Excellent. Okay, so um, right towards the end of the interview, I want to get the information so that I can definitely put it on the website. Um, I, I don't think I have the YouTube information, but I definitely want the guests to hear that. But um, I do want – to ask you this question now, you said post seven years from the relationship, did that, did the abuse that you suffered through that have any effect with how you established new relationships, or were able to establish or maintain relationships after that?
5: Uh, well, I didn't do anything for the well, the first year, I it, it took me that first year to rediscover myself because I had turned into a brainwashed zombie. I mean, I sabotaged with my own mother for ten years. She wasn't invited to my wedding. She wasn't there for the birth of our youngest child. So I had to reestablish connections with my immediate family, you know, just lay all the cards on the table. And I still, to date, haven't told everybody everything, and I don't know that it's actually necessary. But I started to date maybe a year and a half afterwards, and it didn't go very well because the first person I started dating, his ex-girlfriend showed up seven months pregnant, not knowing if it was maybe his or not (laughs) I got cold mm-hmm. feet after that. <laughs> uh, yeah, since then I just invested all of my time into the family and then into my business. So I'm currently um, not dating, and I don't know if I'm exactly in the market or not. But if it happens, it happens. But I'm not actively <laughs> looking. <laughs> um,
0: I know you said that he isolated you. Um hmm Other than that, for anyone who may be possibly going through something that you went through, what are some other red flags that they could possibly look out to recognize that, okay, I may be in a potentially um, bad relationship? What are some other things that they could look out? Mm Excessive
5: jealousy. Jealousy is probably the biggest one. Um, Jealousy, they will get all kinds of crazy, even accusing you of doing something with somebody else or if you can't account for your time, you know, they're missing five minutes and they're getting all bent out of whack. If they're going through your Facebook and your phone more than you, you know, those kinds of things, huge red flags. Don't even stop. Do not pass go. Do not collect your dollars. Get out of it because it's only going to get worse. And they'll tell you, oh, I'm just jealous because I love you so much. No. They're, that That jealousy is insecurity. So it, it's false. It's not love. It's insecurity. So that's huge. Um, jealousy, possessiveness. If they start to try to own your time and take you away, well, that's sort of like isolation. But they want more and more of your time. Maybe they want to start using your car to drive you to work. Don't go that way. <laughs> Maintain oh. control of yourself and your stuff.
3: <laughs>
0: wow.
3: Okay.
0: And... How has your change, your life changed now? So your past seven years past, you've regained some focus and you're helping other people. How has your life changed now?
5: Oh, you know, I've I've gone from like yucky, cobwebs in the attic, to beautiful three D color <laughs> and my oh, world wow. has totally changed. I appreciate a good night's sleep. Stuff that what I call regular people Take for granted you know the freedom to come and go as you please and you know not worry about repercussions. you know I could even make a certain facial expression. everything I did had to be you know just so tweet so i I got hit in my sleep, I was dreaming about work, and I was talking to coworkers. I got hit for that like i couldn't I can't control my dreams, so very simple things today mean the world to me so I'll fresh night's sleep, you know, I got to redevelop a new relationship with my kids. They didn't know me before. I was mom the doormat, so that was brand new. Learning who my kids were when they were 18, 16, and 4, quite quite an an overtaking. Uh, You know, and then, you know, just coming face-to-face with the truth that I was a victim of domestic violence. I wouldn't even say that. It took me over a year before I would even utter those words. I just didn't even face it. So once I started to identify that and kind of how bad it truly was, because I was in denial, only then could I start to go forward, because you have to acknowledge that problem. When you have a problem, you can't just bury it, because it will just grow within you. You have to pull it out, look at it, and then just let it go and move on. And doing that has opened so many doors. My problem was I wasn't closing enough doors, so I had to close the door, address it, fix it, move on. And today, mm. my life is amazing. I'm doing everything I've ever wanted to do and so much more. It's like, you know, hosting radio shows, I put on these great big concerts, and, you know, people know me wherever I go and for positive things. So I've been doing this for five years now, so folks will come up, to will be like, you know, oh, you talked to my daughter, and she's doing great today, or, you know, and I also... Um, Powerful men too, and and it's just a beautiful thing knowing that I am actually saving lives because people are recognizing these signs and getting out of a relationship. So it's it's just amazing. It's amazing. I I love life and everybody who's in it. It's just beautiful.
0: You sound like you're in an awesome place. You, I, you, you're also a domestic violence victim advocate. What else is your involvement in the? Domestic Violence Awareness. I know that you said you did the show. What else are you doing, and how else are you involved in bringing awareness to this cause?
5: Well, with um, with the nonprofit organization, which I started in 2010, uh, but I've rebranded it. So the company is called TV, and so all of my advocacy work is now through that. So that is the website. There's also a link to the YouTube channel right on there. So it, the channel is called Love Shouldn't TV. And so this way, I can reach you know thousands or millions of people through through YouTube. Um, I also go and do you know personal appearances. I do lectures and, and seminars and workshops and groups. and anywhere that, I, that anywhere that there's a need, if I can fill it, I fill it, because I think of the barriers to services like what failed me. I I remember once at work, I had a real brief break. I picked up the phone. I called the police. I said, this is what I'm going through. What can you do to help me? And they said, in New York State, you can have a black eye, and we can't do anything. But if you are kicked, then that shoe would constitute a weapon, and then we can do something. And when the officer told me that over the phone, my spark went out. I was like, oh, my God. Am I supposed wow. to go home and beg to be kicked? Are you serious? Yeah. You know Fortunately, though, um, that was about mm, probably probably twelve years ago. So fortunately, those laws have have been updated and modified, and they're not they're not so dismal anymore. <laughs> so there's a lot more hope. Mm-hmm. A lot of progress is being made, and and because of this, the, I put on something called the Exposure Concert every year. It's a three day event. I stream live around the world. So you know, I go big <laughs> oh.
3: <laughs> because.
5: We need to unify, you know. I, I'm talking, we're unifying the whole world, unifying exactly. against domestic violence. And we have live chat during this, this concert. I so we've talked to other countries, you know, Germany, people in Africa, people in and Poland and England, New Zealand, everywhere. So it's it's just incredible. The power of the internet has has made that be possible, where we're joining forces around the world sharing stories and helping each other. It's awesome.
0: Wow. Well, Suzanne, I want to thank you for coming by and speaking with us about your experiences. You definitely, again, sound like you're in a better place. Do you have any final words that you want to share with the audience? Um, Perhaps something that can encourage someone who may be going through what you went through.
5: Yes. Know that you will be so much better off not staying in that relationship for any reason at all. You need to put you first. So go with your gut. If something doesn't feel right, trust your gut. And definitely keep your own priorities, keep yourself you. If somebody's trying to peel away that makes the things that make up you, then it's bad. I hope that that made sense.
3: <laughs> yeah, it did.
0: It did. It did. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for stopping by, and we hope that you'll be by again.
5: I'd love to. Thank you very much. And remember, love shouldn't hurt. TV. You'll find me there. Send questions. I'll be happy to answer every question because one question will apply to thousands.
0: Thank you so much.
5: Great. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye
0: bye. You're listening to Let's Face It on the Survival Radio Network. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn, and we'll be right back to learn about the Band-Aid Challenge.
4: Looking for unique and safe gifts for children and those with sensitive skin. Look no further than Azariah's Innocence.com. Azariah's Innocence is a natural bath and body product line created by teenpreneur, philanthropist, and honor roll student Zandra Azariah Cunningham. All natural oils, butter, and herbs make up a beautiful assortment of artisan soaps, lotion bars, bath bomb fizzies, sugar scrubs, candy and cupcake soap, and much more. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Azariah's Innocence.com. Or contact us at 1-585-68-PURE-1. Fun, fresh, artisan beauty for girls from 6 to 106.
0: Welcome back to Let's Meet It. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. My next and final guest, you've all heard of the ALS Challenge, the Ice Bucket Challenge. Well, my next guest, Ms. Rachel Fletcher, is here to talk about um, the Band-Aid Challenge. Welcome to the show, Rachel. How are you?
6: I'm doing awesome. How are you? And thank you for having me.
0: Oh, no problem. Thank you for, for, for contacting us. Why is this such a passionate subject to you? Well,
6: um, domestic violence uh, became a passionate subject for me because I decided to write a book back in 2007 and when writing the book it was pure entertainment um you know just for reading purposes only and the more and more people got the book you know they kept saying you know how awesome of a book it was well in the process of me writing it I um I included domestic violence and the book is is a it's a fiction novel it's about a woman who married her middle school sweetheart, followed him to college, did everything that he asked of her. They were just in love and love and love. Well, when they got older, they got married, and he started living a double life and when she discovered his double life of selling drugs, she confronted him with it, and in turn, he began to abuse her to keep her quiet so when um you know she goes through this journey and towards the end of the journey, when she's had enough, she starts to embezzle his drug money to finance her escape. Now, when I was writing the book, you know, I had to stop because I was thinking, you know, somebody's going to pick up this book and we'll be in a domestic violence situation. Now, this is pure entertainment, but, you know, I was speaking to myself saying, hey, if somebody picks up this book, are they just going to be purely entertained or are they going to actually take something from the book? And I thought, you know, gosh, this is my chance to reach somebody, this is my chance to help somebody, this is a voice that I have, the power, you know, of information through a book. So I stepped back, I started researching, and I started looking at statistics, and the more and more I started researching, the more passionate I got about the subject because domestic violence is like the underdog of October, you know, breast cancer awareness is everywhere. The walkathons, the telethons, everybody's wearing pink and all these things. And, you know, mm-hmm. I understand that. You know, my godmother is a breast cancer survivor. My mother-in-law is. And I, I understand But we are losing women and men to domestic violence as well. So that's why I got so passionate about it because nobody talks about it. Hardly anybody even knows that October mm-hmm. is Domestic Violence Month. So uh,
0: that's, like that's I why I got
6: so passionate about it
0: preparing for the show. I I I knew October was breast cancer awareness. I had no idea that it was domestic violence. So you're right, it does sometimes get pushed in the shadow of the breast cancer um awareness month. And you right. is, is this the book that you turned into a play? I know that you gave your playwright as well.
6: Yes, absolutely. Now when I wrote the book, um I did not get on the shelves of bookstores um because I had to with the publishing deal I had, that's a long story. I had to sell a certain <laughs> amount to do that. But That's another story. Anyway, it's on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and, um, you know, all of those websites you can purchase the book. Well, the more and more I started to reach people, um, the more and more they would, you know, because I put in the book, you know, email me your feedback, and people say, you know, gosh, this would be a great play. Oh, my God, this is a good story, da-da-da-da-da, you know. So I said, well, hey, let's let's do this, you know. So I adapted it to a a stage play, and we performed it seven times. I uh, submitted my script to the Houston Area Women's Center, and they, uh, you know, I asked them if they could participate. I was thinking more on the lines of, hey, come out, pass out bracelets, pass out flyers. No, they wanted to set up a crisis room if in the event after the play somebody felt they needed to talk to somebody, and I was like, this is awesome, you know, and they said, well, in order to do that, we have to approve your script because you have to be conveying the right message. I said, hey, no problem. I shot them the script. They read it. They loved it. They said, you know what? You're on point. You're delivering the right message, you know, you're, um uh, because you know, when when you work on a hotline for something of this this uh so sensitive of a subject matter, you know, you have to talk to these ladies in a certain way. You can't just say, Hey, pack up your stuff and leave. You can't they will right. be killed. You know what I mean? It's it's steps you have to take. There's precautionary measures you have to take. You have to consider if they have kids, do you have money saved? You know, it's it's you just can't leave. And on the outside looking in, that's what we think of family members. Girl, get your stuff, I'll come pick you it's not that easy you know, and so they said, you know what, you're on point, we will be there, so they, you know, they made it up there, they set up a room, and I said, you know what, if one person comes to this room, I've done my job, and I think they told me at least three to five people wanted to speak to them, two of them wanted to volunteer, but hey, that's still an accomplishment, and the other three ladies, one of them had a family member, and the other two were victims themselves, so I was, I was just taken back. I'm getting goosebumps on my arm right now, because I was like, if I have one person, I've done my job. You know, and so we okay. took that play on the road and then everybody started saying, Hey, this would be a good movie. Oh my God. And I'm like, Okay, y'all y'all give me these ideas. So I, I took it to a screenplay and um I'm in editing right now and will I can tell you I've learned so much on this journey. We've reached so many people. I've been blessed with awesome actors at the ground at their foundation of their career at the ground level and I mean That's they cool. did it pro bono. They donated their time and you know, I'm just trying to get this call. message the out fly. there. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: So and yeah. tell us about the Band-Aid Challenge. How can we help you? Tell us what it is and how we can help you.
6: Okay. So the Band-Aid Challenge is I was trying to find a way, of course, to get people talking about this subject that's so hush-hush. Um, every year I write uh, the media. I write TV shows. I write the radio stations. I submit letters trying to get somebody to do a domestic violence segment on their show, you know, on the news something. So this year I said, well, let me do something different because since '07 I've been doing this and I'm getting no feedback. Um, And actually, well, you are the first radio station, radio talk show, to call me to do this. I'm I'm really, really honored that I get to do this. But um, so I said, let me let me come up with something to get people talking. So there's been the ice bucket challenge, like you said, and these pretty picture challenges and all this stuff on Facebook. I said, well. I'm going to put a Band-Aid on my face, and I'm going to call it the healing Band-Aid movement because, of course, domestic violence, someone gets hurt, they get hit. Now, domestic can be, uh, violence can be physical, mental, um, verbal, or whatever, but if I just put this Band-Aid on, because Band-Aid, when you put a Band-Aid on a wound, it's it symbolized, you know, you're healing it. You're in the process of healing it. So I said, if I do that and then I do enough of these pictures and I get enough people to do this, maybe the media will see it then. Because everybody's doing the, the pink shirts, the pink ribbons, and all of this stuff. Domestic violence, of course, the color is purple. Um, I know it's hard to find purple band aids, but I was like, hey, if I can get a lot of people to just post this picture on them, on their body or on, on an object, and hashtag DVAM, which is DVAM for Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I started, uh, you know, I'm tagging Steve Harvey Show, I'm tagging the Ellen Show, Wendy Williams, anything I can think of, and then maybe we can he- they can hear us. So that's what, exactly. that's what I'm hoping this will do. And it worked because, hey, I got in touch with you. So it, it's working, you know. Mm-hmm. So you what never know. What
0: would you know. like us to do? I know you had mentioned something about you wanted us to take pictures and put it on Facebook. What did you, what did you want us to do?
6: Yes. Please take, get a Band-Aid, put it on your face, on your arm, on anywhere, on your phone, on your backpack. I had people putting it on a Coke can, anything. Take a picture of it. Upload it on your Instagram or Facebook and tag me, which is Ray D Fletcher, R A E D as in Delta and then Fletcher, and hashtag D D A M, which is for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. That way all the ha you know, when we pull up that hashtag, all these band aid pictures will pull up. So if you guys can do that, I mean that would be awesome the more than I'm trying to get a thousand pictures and I think I'm like at maybe almost a hundred and I just started what about a week ago, so that would be People awesome if that. I can get everybody to do that, yeah.
0: Get it well, th- Rochelle. Thank you so much for that, and I'm gonna definitely help push that cause and get it on Instagram and all the social media outlets so that we can get those pictures posted. Thank you Thanks so much, so for much. Thank you're you welcome. for
6: having me. mhm,
0: you're welcome, mhm. Well, I want to thank you everyone for tuning in again this week. Um remember on next Sunday, we're having live panel discussion hot topics um I'll have Six of my friends here, my closest and dearest friends, uh, we're going to be chiming in on everything from celebrity gossip, politics, religion, everything. So email me, info at com. Make sure that you call in because I'm pretty sure somebody on my panel is going to piss you off. So make sure that you call in with your comments or thoughts next week, 917-932-1078. Very important that you press 1. Uh, when the recording starts to get you in that call queue I definitely want to thank my guests this evening Dr. Beth Gennaris Suzanne Perry Rachelle Fletcher And I am your host, Will Strayhorn Let's face
3: it In life,
0: you're going to be faced with many choices But the most important choice you will ever make Is when you choose to be bold Be beautiful Make the choice to be you Until next time
1: Thank you for listening to Let's Face It with Will Drayhorn and friends on the Survival Radio Network. Please be sure to visit us on the web often at letsfaceitradio.com for the latest in show information, including upcoming shows, special guests, spotlight interviews, as well as exciting, innovative ways that you can be part of the show. So tune in next week for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's Face It.